0: Great. Well, it's uh, good to be back in this uh, book of 1 Thessalonians again, as uh, we've already heard. Uh, uh, we've been studying it. It's to uh, written to a community of really quite new Christians. And the book celebrates, uh, as we've seen, just how they start in their life with Jesus and how they're going to be carrying on. And the Apostle Paul, who shared the good news with them, he left ...a little bit earlier than he would have normally planned. He was there for probably two or three months in Thessalonica... ...in this uh, Roman city in the Greek world. And uh, there'd been trouble. There'd been uh, pressure from a mob. And, and he really just had to be run out of town for his own safety. So, uh, some of the local Christians had been beaten up. You can read all about it in, in Acts chapter 17. And uh, you know they'd had a tremendous start in their Christian life. Some amazing things had happened... As uh, as we heard from Lou earlier, God had worked as he shared the good news with them. There's been this deep change in their lives that other people had noticed they'd got this reputation. Loads of people knew that they'd come to God, they'd turned to God from idols, they were serving the true and the living God. It was all going brilliantly, but Paul's been kind of unable to be with them as we heard last week and he's been separated from them and he's thinking I wonder how they're doing and uh, he uh, there's some kind of suspense but he's heard that it's fine they're doing really well and he's writing to them to help them keep going in their Christian lives we need that help don't we sometimes to keep going in our Christian lives as we were brilliant illustration earlier it does feel like that sometimes doesn't it you know how do we keep going? And it's really interesting as we saw a couple of weeks ago that, that, that this is the, one of the earliest uh, pieces of, uh, of writing that we have from the time of the early church. It was written, probably this is the first book of the New Testament to be written, 1 Thessalonians. And it gives us an insight into what it was like. What was real Christianity like then? And as we look at it, with all of the kind of descriptions and a kind of, uh, it's not exactly analysis, but it's kind of fascinating to see, well, this is what real Christianity looks like, or it looked like then. We look into our lives and think, well, how does it look for us now? So in this letter, Paul gets them to kind of go back to the start of their Christian life, reminds them of how they were then, and then encourages them to keep going in it. And I think it might be good for us sometimes, especially if you've been a Christian for a while, To go back to the beginning, uh, to remember what God did for you when you first began to know him in your life or or when I did. For me it's a long time ago now and it's good to just be reminded of the freshness of God's work in our lives when we first came to know him. It helps us as we carry on. Well I've got to have one, I I guess, uh, a World Cup reference might as well get it out of the way. <laughs> so, did you see the England Columbia game the other night? Fascinating, wasn't it? England were just brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And then, was it the last minute? There's an equalizer. Oh, no. <gasps> we all went, did we? Some of us did, maybe. And then do you remember what happened? They came back and they played the first half of extra time. What were they like then? So I, they were absolutely terrible, weren't they? You know, Suddenly, the Latin kind of spark was fizzing all over the place, and, uh, uh, and uh, you know, Brazil was like everywhere. And then they had a break. And I don't know what Gareth and Harry said to the rest of them at that break in halfway through extra time. I wonder whether, I was trying to find out, I'm sure I didn't have the time to, you know, research loads of tabloid reports of the um, World Cup. But I'm pretty sure he said, guys, remember how you were playing? Remember what you can do? Remember who you are? You know, remember the first half up until that really disappointing equalizer? I guess they remembered it because they came out and they started playing like they did before, didn't they? And the rest, as they say, is history. Well, I think in some ways a Christian life can be like that. That we, you know, we get disappointments, discouragements or whatever. And, and as we kind of remember what, what God is like, who he is, what he's done in Jesus, it helps us to pick up and get going again. Now do you need to do that in your Christian life? Well do it through this series. One of the things we're praying uh, is that through this series in 1 Thessalonians that we kind of get the freshness again of what it was like to be a new Christian because we're living in the world of new Christians in the book of 1 Thessalonians. And that will perhaps inspire us to get back to what's real. Well, let's see what Paul has to say now in chapter 4 as he's going to carry on encouraging them to keep going with what they began. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, this is verse 1 on page 1187. We instructed you how to live in order to please God as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister." The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. And to make it your ambition to live a quiet life, you should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Well, let's um, start then. And, And the very place to start, really is this this core truth. Live to please God. That, Paul says, was the message we gave you in those early days. How to live a life in order, how to live in order to please God. That's the main thing, he says. And he says, you're doing that. And that's great, but I want you to do it more and more. And and he's not kind of saying we gave you like a rule book or we we gave you just a set of kind of instructions in that sense. You know, like kind of uh, pleasing God for dummies kind of thing or teach yourself how to please God. Now that's not it. He says that we're saying this to you. We said this to you in the Lord Jesus. See that phrase there? We gave you these instructions by the authority of the Lord Jesus. In the Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name is what he's saying. It was with the authority of Jesus. This is the heart of how we live this life. We live it in Jesus. The words, the truth, come to us because of Jesus. We live in a way that God loves, and we live in a way that loves God because that's what Jesus wants us to do. We do it to please Him. It's like he taught on the Sermon of the Mount. The whole of the Sermon on the Mount is basically about how do we as followers live in a way to please God? That's essential. And Paul is saying, we were telling you that kind of stuff. And he's saying, no, you started that. Well, keep going. It Do it more and more. Embedded in here, in one of some of the other translations, is the idea of walking. You must walk this way. A walk, like a run, you know, it's a step-by-step thing, isn't it? And, 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 and the idea is you, you keep doing it. It's a continuing journey. So where are we with this? What would it be like if we saw living to please God, walking in that way as really the main thing? The heart of everything else. We live lives that please God. Do you want to do that? That's what the rest of this letter is all about. Building on what they already know and what they've experienced. So Paul says, like here in this part, he says, and we're going to see it again. He said, I told you this, you're doing it. Now don't stop, do it more and more. That's that sense of progress. And then he goes on to say, look, he said there's a, there's a really big plan behind it. There's always something bigger going on. It's always something kind of, uh, God has this big purpose. And what is it? It says there, it is God's will, verse 3, that you should be sanctified. That means to be holy. The idea in that word, it's in the Old Testament as well as the New, is the idea of being cleaned up, about being pure. It also has the idea of being available to God. In some ways people will talk about, it means being set aside for God, for him available for him and it means that as his people we're to become like him if we're his children we should be growing to look like our father again jesus said that on in the sermon on the mount he said i want you to be holy as your father in heaven is holy he says if this is the way our father Treat, treats uh, uh, people, then you should treat people the same way. Uh, read through the Sermon on the Mount and see how many times that kind of idea is there. It's God's will, verse 3. It's God's big idea. He's called us to live a holy life, verse 7. He's called us to that. That's what it's all about. That's what God wants most for us, that our lives are holy, that they're clean, that they're pure. Actually, verse seven tells us. Uh, sorry, verse five tells us. What's the difference, uh, verse five, between a Christian and a non-Christian? Well, we'll see in a minute. In verse five, it says that we should learn to live in a certain way, not in passionate lust like the pagans, who do not know God. So the essential difference is we know God. That's what makes us different. If if we've given our hearts to Jesus, if we're on that road of following him, then we know God, it says. And whatever else happens in our behavior arises out of that truth. That's God's big plan. But also, Paul says, look, this is part of the gospel that I shared with you. He says, I told you about this when I was with you. And this is the big story, isn't it? That God's purpose is that people, human beings, would know him. That we would live with him in his will, following his purposes, living out in his goodness. That's why he made us in the first place, to know him. And you know the story, don't you? You know how we've turned our back on him. We walked away from that. We went our own way. And we started substituting our own gods or our own kind of preferences or our feeling of, well, I'd rather live my way, thanks, rather than your way, God. All if it's all the same to you. And we turned our back and our, our, our kind of ancestors did that. And that's kind of been flowing through our, our, our kind of what makes us human ever since that we turned away from what God wanted. But Jesus came to bring us back. That's the story, isn't it? That's the good news. He came to enable us to know God. So we can turn back to him. We can know his forgiveness and his new life. We can live as he wants us to do. We can be forgiven and we can put right. And when we turn back to Jesus, in God's eyes, we're like Jesus. We have a fresh start. We're in Jesus. And from that place of knowing him, We live his way, it says here, with the help of his Spirit, who is called the Holy Spirit. I wonder whether there's a connection there. The Holy Spirit. That's the good news that's what happens when we turn to God like these Thessalonians did it says in chapter one they turn to God from idols to serve the true and living God and to wait for his son from heaven Jesus who rescues us as Jesus is the one who enables us to be rescued from God's judgment and to come into the right relationship with God again and Paul says to the Thessalonians and says it to us too You've done that or you can do that, you can know that and then you need to keep living in it. We need to keep going in it. And Paul tells us next in this little kind of passage where he started with the Thessalonians and how he wants them to keep going. And he's going to kind of do this throughout the rest of the book. So the first area he says, I want you to live to please God in, he says is in sex, sexual morality, Pretty plain there. Can't avoid it. There it is in verse 3, 4 and 5. Not that I would want to. You might, but I think we should go with what the Bible says. Here it is in black and white. What can we learn from it? Well, you might think well, it was a bit odd. You know, what is, 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 is the Bible obsessed with sex? Or, why, you know, who are these people anyway? You know, surely they are people in the Bible. You know, they should, you know, they're, they're all kind of living. You know, they must be all like Victorians or something. You know, they must be, you know, how we think, you know, religious people are. Actually, the Victorians weren't that good anyway, but you know what I mean. And we kind of think, well, yeah, we get it that it's a bit of a a thing in our day and age, in our culture, but isn't that our modern kind of hang up? Well, let me tell you a little bit about Thessalonica, the city where these people live, the biggest city in the region it was the center of roman government probably uh, there's a, thessalonica is still there today um anyone been there on holiday yeah okay so i think it's about 300,000 today i read somewhere and and some of the the uh, uh scholars reckon that Thessalonia in those days, or Thessalonica rather, was probably about two-thirds of its current size. So it's had this continual kind of place because of its strategic position. It was an important city in those days. It was on a trade route. It was the centre of the Roman government. It was a city with a Greek heritage but a Roman culture. Uh, well, Greek and Roman culture tended to be kind of blending a bit in, in that part of the Roman Empire at that time. Here's what the Greek writer Demosthenes says about morality. Quote, Mistresses we keep for the sake of pleasure, concubines for the daily care of the body, but wives to bear us legitimate children. Doesn't sound like a Victorian. That was the... You know, that's part of Greek culture of the time. Roman culture, in Roman culture, and I wouldn't particularly encourage you to Google this because you go to some quite unhelpful places. I was clicking away quite fast in my Googling, I must say. Men in Roman culture were encouraged basically to have as much sex as possible with whoever was available, uh, uh, and, you know, even non-human it was a pretty wild kind of place. By this time, actually, there's some evidence as well that some of the high status women in the Roman world were also beginning to behave like men. So we, there are bits of uh, writings of, of some of the high status women who are bragging about, you know, being able to, you know, older women being able to exhaust a whole a load of young guys that were kind of part of their, their kind of entourage and whatnot. It's not, you know, it was pretty full on. That was their culture. You know, we read quite a bit about, in the New Testament, about dinners, especially dinners that happened in temples. And some of the temples were dedicated to idols. Many of the idols involved uh, sex and fertility. So a lot of sex went on in the temples. There was whole staffs of temple prostitutes to provide that. But not just that, you know, in, in other dinners it was possible to, well part of a dinner would be um, hospitality, in inverted commas, that the host would provide. And actually a, a rite of passage for a young Roman boy, uh, when a Roman boy started to shave, then he could wear a toga and go to a dinner. And if he was wearing a toga for the first time, it basically meant that he was ready to be entertained with the hospitality that was all part of the dinner. So, you know, that's where they were, and in that place, that you could look at their theater, their culture, their literature, reflected in, and encouraged these behaviors. That was the world when they turned to God from idols, that was where they were, those who weren't Jewish. Now already, these brand-new Christians, perhaps only three months old, have left that behind. Their lives were changing. Paul says, don't stop, keep going. And he tells them, he says, avoid sexual immorality. That's a word used in the uh, Bible called, the word is Greek, What is pornea. And uh, you often find it as the first of a, in the list of sins to be avoided. It basically, it was because it was part of the culture. It's the first in the list because it was the most common that, uh, that new believers had to struggle with. And it basically means any sex outside of God's way. Which the Bible says is one man and one woman in a faithful, committed relationship. Which in our culture is marriage or something equivalent. And Paul says that's what you've been taught. And there's good reasons for going God's way. And that's what living a holy life in that area should look like. Might that have anything to say to us in our culture today? We don't worship sex, do we? I think we do. We don't have cathedrals and temples. But we have entire resorts dedicated to pleasure. And most of the pleasure comes. You only have to join the street pastors one night, possibly. See what kind of drives a lot of the fun that people want to have. There's nothing wrong with fun, but there are other ways to have fun that please God. And into this, they're very quick, very, I'm going to have to dash on now. Uh, into this are three important little kind of reasons for going God's way. Here they are. Paul says, What you do with your body really matters. See that? Each of you should learn to control your own body. He says, you're not to just follow your urges, but holiness and honor are to hold the last word for you. Not just lust and passion. When the Bible talks about self-control, that's kind of what it means. It means what we, whether we allow our body to kind of rule us, our desires to rule us, or whether we're willing to say, I'm going to let God rule me, not my body. And Paul says it matters what we do with our bodies. Secondly, he says relationships of respect and honor matter. So in verse 6 he says, don't wrong one another in this. Don't take advantage of another brother or sister. And that I think is at the heart of why the committed relationship is what it's about. And how committed or when is it committed, That we can talk about that. I'm not going to go into all of that detail. But there's a principle here that says that if it's not going to be lifetime, how do you know you're not going to end up damaging the person you're with for the future? Are you going to rob that person of, of, of what may be possible in the future? How can you honor others in this way? And then Paul says, thirdly, that your relationship with God matters, verse 8. He says, if you reject what is being said here, you're not rejecting a human being, but you're rejecting God. And he says, don't reject what God says, or don't reject God, because he, verse 8, is the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. So there's three little principles behind it. It's a challenge, but it's, it's not. I can't remember. From my, when I was a student in a, uh, 1974, I went to the first Christian Union meeting of the term, I think, or maybe the second. And I remember the speaker, it's George Verwer, who's always been quite blunt and open and uh, free speaking. If, the, open phrase of his, the opening phrase of his talk was uh, I could do and try and shout like he does, but I won't. But it was basically if Jesus isn't Lord of your sex life, he's not Lord at all. Jesus Christ is Lord. And this is kind of the point that Paul is making. We live our lives not according to our body's urges, not according necessarily to the cultural norms without thinking about it, but according to God's way. So how do we get there or how do we get back from there? Well, we could do what the Thessalonians did. We could turn to God we could invite Jesus to enter these dark areas. It's difficult. I know it's complex. There's history. And, you know, I'm not saying, you know, I, I just want to acknowledge that it's not simple, particularly in these days. And it wasn't simple then either. Maybe the principles might help us to, to start to get our head around it. You know, Am I going to follow these truths? What I do with my body matters. What, my respect and honor for other brothers and sisters or people who may not yet be brothers or sisters. That matters as well. And my relationship with God is fundamentally the thing that matters most. And just figure out how that might apply into your situation if you need to. But follow the principle so that if you change your behavior, or as you change your behavior, or as we change our behavior, that that grows out of these truths and the promises of God's love, not just out of kind of guilt and panic. I don't want to make you feel guilty or panic you. I want you to think about these principles from God's word and then say, Lord, okay, how can I live these out in my life, in my situation? And we need to have conversations about that. Talk it through. We need to walk together in this holiness. It's a huge area. And I know we need a bigger conversation than I've got time for. Because I've got even less time than normal. But it's here in the Bible. So if you want to talk it through, let's maybe have an extra session or something to, to talk some of these practical things over and just try and walk with one another in that. So that's the, 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 the thing Paul says. We live to please God In sexual morality. He says also live to please God in love for one another. Well this is key isn't it? How can we live this way? God's way. How can we do that? Well we we need the help of the Holy Spirit to be holy. But it says here God was doing something else. Look at verse 9. He says you have been taught by God to love one another. God was teaching them to love one another. Think about last week and what we were thinking as Lou led us in our our kind of study about real relationships. Our relationships are matter. They come to play into this. Our relationships with brothers and sisters in a Christian community. That's the only way we can do this. We need each other's help. We need to be those running buddies. We need kind of holiness buddies. You know, people who are in love going to be sympathetic and, and help us work out the complexities maybe of how do we apply this stuff in our individual situations. Loving one another is important. Paul says, do that more and more, more and more. So do that, you can have the respect of outsiders. I think this idea of living a quiet life is not necessarily keeping your kind of head down. There towards the end of the passage. He says other people will notice your daily life as you're different, as you're living to please God. How we need each other's love. Because our culture finds us, uh, drives us to find fulfillment in sex or to you know, take on board the substitution uh, of, a, kind of the fake intimacy of porn or whatever. Or to see our sexuality as the key to everything about us and to where we find our meaning and our identity. And within all that stuff, we need a loving community to help each other in these massive struggles, don't we? We need to be there for each other. So that if we're struggling in one way or another, maybe struggling with choosing celibacy in singleness. Or choosing celibacy and purity instead of a same-sex relationship then we need to be there for you if that's your struggle if that's my struggle i need you we need our family to support us we need that love these two ways of living to please god are not disconnected from one another we need to make it our ambition to make it work i think that, that that's kind of behind this idea of Uh, leading a quiet life is this idea of just kind of making it work so that we can live and that we can live in a way where it says you gain respect of outsiders they may disagree with us but we want to live in a way that draws attention to Jesus and gains respect so living to please God is at the heart of an authentic Christian life God is at work in us and through us. The Holy Spirit helping us to choose another way, to choose his way in what we do with our bodies and living together to please God as loving family, helping each other in the messes that we get into, seeing God teaching us to love one another, growing in that too. Remember the start. Remember how it was? (laughs) you know, the, the, the thrill of being a new Christian, of knowing God, get back to the roots of it. Keep walking more and more. That phrase about the Christian life, more and more, just steadily going on with God. Lean on the love of the Christian family and let's be those who will give that love to someone when they need it. Pray that we may just know the joy of living lives that please God. I've said some, I've kind of gone a bit fast. I've probably uh, said some things that some of you might not agree with. Well, that's fine. We always talk about it afterwards or get together uh, or have a longer conversation. If you'd like someone to pray with you so that you can see at least I'm going to put something down in the sand now today, then do um, come even though we're, we're going to have a short break before the AGM but you come down and be prayed with be prayed for with somebody you know, during that time I'm going to hand back now but well, let's pray father we pray we may know the joy of living to please you or well, may you help us by your spirit to want to please you and we pray that you would help us to work it out in the wisdom that you give and in the love that we need from our brothers and sisters. In Jesus' name, amen.